1: Thanks for joining us for another edition of Blunt Business here on CannabisRadio.com. So thankful for all of you to join us. Well known cannabis brands are doing things right from a marketing perspective. According to LaSalle Works in a recent report on how cannabis branding has changed, cannabis brands are now more multifaceted than they used to be, with entire lifestyles attached to their products. The brands that prosper are locking down their position in the industry through messaging, packaging, shelf displays, distribution networks, and brand extensions. My next guest has served on both for and nonprofit boards as an expert witness, has won numerous industry awards, has been profiled in the Wall Street Journal, Success, Money magazines, and on NBC's Dateline. He's especially proud to have mentored executives and entrepreneurs toward their own success with several former mentees now serving companies as CEO. I'm here with the founding partner of Primary Growth Partners, Michael Epstein. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. I'm glad to go and have you come on and give your expertise to our listeners about what you've done and how you've been able to go ahead and bring people up to the level of CEO. Now, let's talk a little bit more about your background. Uh, First off, you have been executing successful business strategies in the mid-market space for almost 40 years. And as a CEO, you have deep industry experience across manufacturing, wholesale, marketing, sales and distribution, Retail advertising, online and offline media, and e-commerce. So over the nine companies that you had started or operated, you have worked in apparel, health and wellness and services, beauty products and services, home services, online and media services, educational gaming, spirits, and food and beverage. Whew. Okay. That's a lot of work you've done and Yeah, I'm, an incredible I'm exhausted career.
2: just hearing you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's a track record. Now, when you get those lights on achievement awards, you got to tell them, hey, cut, cut, cut it down a little bit, huh? Just cut it down a little bit. Just saying. Now, with that said, you bring all this experience into the cannabis space. What made you decide to do that?
2: Yeah, I, I really, I would tell you the most exciting thing that I've done in my career is build two top one thousand brands. Yep. And when you build a top one thousand brand in the United States, you're competing in You know, heavy, heavy territory. You're competing with big boys. And um, as an example, I was the CEO of 1 800 Dentist, and that became one of the years I was operating it. It was the 983rd largest brand in the United States. And you know, you go, well, you you just made it into the top 1,000. What are you, what are you bragging about? But (laughs) number 980, no. Well, here's it. Number 982 that year was American Express. And number 984 was Adidas. Oh my God.
1: So
2: those are both multi-billion dollar companies. Yes. And we were doing right around $50 million a year at the time. So, you know, we were David sitting in between two Goliaths. And that takes really intelligent marketing to do that, right? Really uh, clear strategy and adherence to that strategy. So so my experience from having built those top 1,000 brands I really understand the top 50 to 70 markets, individualized markets, which we call designated market areas, uh, really well. And new with the legalization, adult use legalization in California, the size of the California market was so impactful. It was, you know, double the size of all of the other states that had legalized adult use combined. So it, it just... California is such a huge state that it's hard to say it's the fifth largest economy in the world, and we say it's 15% of the U.S. economy. But it's so much more than that. I mean, it it is a birthplace for unforgettable brands. Um, it has exported lifestyle continuously, sort of year after year, category after category, across the U.S. and the world. So this is a spot where cannabis is going to be the epicenter. The size of the state and the power of the state means it is going to lead in use. It is going to lead in cultivation where the agricultural powerhouse in the United States, it is going to lead in sales for this foreseeable future. And just understanding this market the way that I did, I said, you know, here's an opportunity to really find cannabis brands in California that are going to help define the market. And um, my background in health and wellness, uh, having started a lot of health and wellness companies, I understood that cannabis and the various products associated with cannabis really should be positioned as health and wellness products, not as you know, not in the sin category with tobacco and spirits, etc. It's got so much benefit in terms of its applications for people um, in so many different ways that. The combination of those two, I said, yeah, this is this is a space to get into and really grow some exciting brands and really help consumers by the delivery of incredible products.
1: And, the, and you're exactly right. What you're giving people out there is really just the expertise that you give and what you're giving as a background. The, the idea of really putting medical cannabis first and foremost up front more than anything else And it's showing the benefits and really just positioning in that sense really takes away stigma, takes away the arguments that are out there. But again, this is always an ongoing subject where we should position, companies should position themselves as such. But then again, the research has to be done. The further and further proof that mainstream media and mainstream society expect from the cannabis industry to make that understanding, to get that point across and hit people over the head over and over again to realize Will you please look at what the the facts say? Listen, we have a viable, helpful product for many people out there with medical conditions. We're not saying it's an end uh, end be all cure. We're saying it's something that's going to help people cope with a better, happier, healthier life. That's the point. But most importantly is what you bring, which I've talked to many different people that have been in the Fortune 1000 space that have entered their way into the cannabis industry it's becoming more and more common. And just, you know, when somebody comes in, others are going to make their way in and say, you know what, we have to make our way in. I actually just talked to a company that, you know, from some of their board, their their chair of board of directors came from Twitter, Procter & Gamble, and I forget the other company, but it was just a matter of you have that going on. And we have people that have come in from, you know, tobacco or from, you know, the beverage industry and just making their way in. And for you, you're giving back by going ahead and reaching out with your company, Primary Growth Partners, to startups. And now, just to go and get one more thing before I get into your work with startups, I want to just bring out what you just talked about. You created two top 1,000 brands in the United States, three companies you grew over the $50 million annual revenue mark, a 2,000% growth rate over 18 straight quarters of quarter-over-quarter growth, overseeing media campaigns in excess of 100%. Million dollars, and the companies you have owned or operated have generated generated over one oh my god one billion dollars in revenues. Stop trying to impress me, Michael. Please, it's, I, it's, I, it's too you much know, winning. But I, I wish my mother was still alive, so you should call <laughs> because you
2: could call her. You know what I mean? You're like you're the best promo person I've ever had.
1: <laughs> uh, hey, you know what? Uh, we're right, in the I, business I of marketing. It. I appreciate it, and hey, you sure. know
2: let's be honest about a business career. Let me be honest with it because because sometimes I read, you know, you read about, you know, the great entrepreneurs, there's been so many writing about the the tech people in particular, Steve Jobs and you know, the golden touch. And you know, I have have had great success. I have built some mid-market companies. I have built some brands. And let me just be honest and tell you within that, there's also failures. And I think it's important to say that because I like encouraging entrepreneurial spirit. And not everything, when you're an entrepreneur, is going to be a win. So, so yes, there's some great success. And, you know, you don't put the failures in your bio. You know, you don't read a, a jobs book and hear about the things that didn't work. But there are things that don't work. And they add to your knowledge base and your wisdom and your understanding of the marketplace and consumers in terms of doing the next venture. So, so I just, I just amid you talking me up, I'm going to pop my own, my own bubble a little bit, and, and just say that for the sake of the entrepreneurs who who may be in your audience and listening to that. And further to that point, you know, that's that's the reason behind PGP. We really want to support entrepreneurs in the cannabis space. We we do work with startups. We do work with early stage companies. We work with emerging companies as well. So it's not just startups. But what we know is that entrepreneurs are the lifeblood of almost every industry. So when you talk about the big players coming into cannabis, and and they are, you know, we know big beer is invested and big tobacco is invested and big pharma is looking at it and other big companies are going to come in, right? Right. They're, they're, they're looking at it. It's a nascent industry. It's, it's going to, you know, $50 billion, $100 billion a year industry are the kind of projections that are being thrown at it. And so all of those big Fortune 100 companies that are in consumer packaged goods are saying, Hey, should we get into this space? Or they've already got a toehold in it.
1: No, what I know, having. Go ahead. I'm sorry
2: Go yeah ahead. I was just saying what I, what I know having sold've sold companies to those fortune 100 companies I've sold my you know companies to them previously and what I know is those big companies at those big companies innovation is dead they don't typically invest or invent new products or new ways to use products or you know uh, different combinations of products and so The new and exciting uses of cannabis, um, whether it's topical applications that are CBD heavy or whether it's new ways to ingest it or whether it's a particular blend that's gonna do particular good for this particular issue, that is gonna come from startups and early stage entrepreneurs. And so those companies, those early stage companies are essential for a nascent industry to continue to grow it, they're essential to bring in different consumer groups. There's there's not enough. I look at you know, a lot of cannabis, a lot of the adult-use space is focused on 21 to 35-year-old men and brands for 21 to 35-year-old men, and I think women are underserved in terms of cannabis-related products. Uh, the 50-plus demographic market is underserved in terms of uh, cannabis products. So there's, you know, that's going to come from entrepreneurialism in the space. That's what we're excited about. Um, and, now, and I Michael, and let me just say quick,
1: yeah, because there's a sure. few things I want to unpack from what you just said. Now, first of all, getting okay. back to the idea of innovation, that those that are coming into invest or that are coming into the space, yes, they're not looking. They're not inspired to get into innovate. They want to be able to go ahead and say, listen, okay, you got a great product here. You have a great widget. We want to come in now and we want to make it better. And we want to go ahead and get it to market and get it out there and make as much profit as possible, which is one of the part of things I would think. The other part is is that, yes, you would not go ahead and come on to this show and talk about your flaws. But those flaws, whichever they might are, they don't weigh to the successes that you had. And when you are going to talk about those, that would be to your clients. Those would be to the people that you're helping in, startup, uh, in the startup world that need to understand, listen, when you're coming in here and you're going to get 15 20 30 40 dollars worth of funding and you're expected to go ahead and take care of these 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 founders to come in here and help with that funding and make sure you make the most of it and do not uh do not you know just, just spend it all frivolously you have to understand you know where your place is and to not make the wrong mistakes take and heed the advice that you're giving to these people. You know, don't just think that, oh, because I'm here, I'm going to just make you and just like go at to the top. You have to go ahead and be well-rounded in what you're doing. And then I think when it comes to the market that's being reached out to, 21 to 35, I just talked to a guest that, uh, with some of the data researchers out there from the Cannabis Marketing Association, I prefaced a story where uh, they talked about that the average cannabis consumer is 42 years old. And that females also, as much of a consumer, almost as equal to men. And I think what's happening is I think that's where the luxury brands are going on out there to create stylish, slick, sleek products, whether it's vape pens or particular uh, flowers or, you know, edibles, things like that to make it much more visible and much more the exposure to make it so that's much more viable for women to go ahead and consume as well to make it where it just, it's almost like, you know, designer uh, clothes or designer uh, accessories. You want to have that same kind of sense.
2: Yeah. I, I, and I think it goes deeper than um, packaging and design. I think it goes to really thinking through, what are the issues that women are going to want to use cannabis related products for right. you know i don't think it's just a matter of repackaging existing product in in you know in sleeker or designer oriented or whatever it is i think it's really thinking through what are the what are the needs and what are the potential uses and developing the right product first and then certainly marketing tells us there's particular ways to package things or et cetera, for, for different demographic audiences. So that, then we do that. But I, I think it starts at the root of what are the issues that can be addressed here? What are the needs of the marketplace? You know, what's the problem? What's the solution? Very, very typical sort of product generation. Um, and and you know, those, those are clear when we look at the marketplace. And there's some phenomenal applications of both purely CBD, CBD THC products for women, um, also, again, for 50 plus, those are, those are two segments that um, we're really interested in, in, in addition to what we call the connoisseur. You know, we think there's a, always going to be an ongoing connoisseur market that, that you know, regular user, that daily user who's, who's looking for unique experiences on the adult use or recreational cannabis side. So um, there's, there's, you know, there's clear segments. And there is, from my point of view, an underwhelming amount of product that's addressing some of those segments.
1: Now, one of the other things I also think about, and this is just a theory of my own, I don't want to put any words in your mouth, but I've tried to get the idea with that there are certain companies that try to re- identify themselves by certain causes social, uh, maybe not, not uh, social and cultural causes. So, of course, the new you know, buzzwords that are out there of inclusivity, and social, uh, social diver- diversity and inclusion, uh, gender identity, just all these different areas that are out there, when it comes down to the bottom line of who you're trying to reach out to for any products or which kind of services you're trying to, whichever audience you're trying to serve, does it matter if it's that micro-segmented based on what we're seeing today in the environment now, just socially and culturally, or do you just need to basically say, you know what, go for men and women, certain age groups, certain uh age groups and that's really what it comes down to not to go ahead and try to reach for a cause but make a product that people will want to have because they want it Uh,
2: you know I, i think cause um you know companies and corporations getting behind a cause is a very good thing and i think communicating that to the consumer is a good thing but i think the essential thing is that it has to be authentic so i think you know, the consumer is smart enough today that if you just go, okay, we're, you know, here's our product and we're going to support, you know, blah, blah, blah. Everybody goes, that's great. But, it, you know, sometimes those just ring a little hollow, right? It's right. just like you picked a cause and it's to make me feel good when I give you my dollars that some portion of those is going to help these 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 people or this issue. And I think it's got to be authentic. So, you know, that it, it, it's a piece of the branding equation. And authenticity today of, you know, the visual narrative and the verbal narrative is so essential. You know, people want to really understand who's behind this and why are they behind it? What are they doing? How are they doing it? If you're going to have a cause for it better really be tied in that way. I think otherwise it's fairly meaningless. So that, that would be my orientation around it. Um, And I do think, you know, as, In a nascent industry, you start with you know big bandwidths of consumers, and then as the as it as the industry gets more sophisticated and more products enter, I do think people begin to look at narrower bandwidths or or particular market niches within a segment. So you know, and I think there's probably some of that beginning to start in cannabis. The beginning of looking at some niches. We certainly. Uh, You know, we talk about that. I think we've got a couple of um, clients who have products that are beginning to sort of niche into a particular segment within a segment. So um, I think they're all, you know, the thing about a nascent industry, and and one as unique as cannabis, is you have to both study what's come before, right? We can look at things like, you know, what happened post-prohibition. We can, um, in, in, you know, it's, it's almost a hundred years ago, but we can look at some of the lessons of that. We can look at, we're fascinated at PGP with something I call outlaw brands. You know, things that came out of music, whether it's, um, you know, entertainment death row records or, you know, NWA, which were very sort of kind of outlaw, uh, almost stigma, the word you used earlier attached to them, or extreme sports, you know, surfing and skateboarding, Dogtown. Even some food and beverage stuff, Uh, mainstream brands say like Harley Davidson, very outlaw originally. So we look at that and we look at some of the narrative of California was first at cannabis 20 years ago. We we legalized medicinal cannabis. And then, you know, there are a number of companies who operated in what I will um, kindly call the gray space, right? And so they have a sort of an outlaw appeal to them. And we know that the consumer, the U.S. consumer, worldwide consumer, is fascinated with this sort of outlaw piece that it gives people a sense of freedom and the ability to break the rules. There's a lot of psychographic profiling we can do around people who outlaw brands appeal to. So that's to me, again, a little subset within the overall that we can look at what are the outlaw brands? What are the the legacy brands, particularly for us within California, that we can look at that have a reputation, that have a following on social media, and can they be positioned with a very authentic narrative around their history, um, and perhaps an authentic cause? Going back to your question, for consumer appeal. So um, you know, there's there's that kind of stuff in the nascent industry that we find fascinating, given our history, you know, our long-term history in terms of marketing to particular bandwidths of consumers and doing demographic research and psychographic research and all that stuff we do in the consumer packaged goods industry, this is a really unique set of products um, with, again, fantastic benefits and a lot of different potential applications. And we really need to be ready to both follow the history of what's come before and think outside the box.
1: Now, as you mentioned, you're whole story about outlaw brands i want to just take a quote that was given to me in in anticipation of this interview you mentioned there is a long history of outlaw brands quote from other market segments breaking through the general market from surfing and skateboarding to extreme sports and certainly a music apparel and recreation brands and that you expect several outlaw brands from the industry the companies that built a brand following prior to legalization and have now entered the licensed marketplace they will make them move the general market so with that said i want to go ahead and talk more about branding we're going to go into that. And I mentioned a little bit about the some comments made from the Cannabis Marketing Association. I want to follow up on that. And I also want to talk about a recent article that talked about how why branding is key to success in the cannabis industry. We're here with Michael Epstein, founding partner of Primary Growth Partners here on Blunt Business. Back with more questions in just a moment.
0: Rolling into some sponsors. But we'll be right back with more Blunt Business.
2: Executives and companies in the cannabis industry.
0: Plant profits only on cannabisradio.com.
2: Elevate your every day with that sugies feeling with the sweet taste of sugies. Add a cup of sugies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is! Sugies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at s-h-o-o-g-i-e-s dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet,
0: sweet, take-anywhere treat. I hope you didn't forget about us, because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com.
1: Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Michael Epstein, founding partner of Primary Growth Partners here on Blunt Business. Now, before I get into what I was talking about, the area of why branding is is a key to success in the cannabis industry, I want to go into the challenges that marijuana faces right now and the way of getting brands out there to get their market out there. So there was a question asked to Lisa Bufo, who founded the Cannabis Marketing Association. And was asked, what types of consumers are cannabis brands targeting nowadays? Are certain products being pushed on certain demographics? We talked about that earlier. But according to the research they had, they said women and baby boomers are the two fastest growing consumer segments. As the industry matures and the sigma drops, brands are starting to niche out their target marketing much more. More consumer groups are now available than ever. One trend we're seeing is brands marketing by mood or effect. So cannabis products named Bliss or Arouse that market based on feelings rather than THC percentages or strain names. These appeal to newer consumers who are looking for effects that aren't just about getting high. With that said, is there a target into how, you know, the kind of emotions or kind of feelings a consumer might have, and the fact that you're going, that maybe that the older demographic, going to baby boomers of women, and as we mentioned earlier, having an older demographic, That we need to go backwards and make sure that the older generations, the one that might have grown up on it, they need to get themselves removed of the stigma so that the next generations, and for those, you know, that are looking to legalize, they'll see the effect and say, you know what, it's not just some random stoner that's looking at at consuming cannabis or trying to get a medical marijuana card. No, real people, families, uh, you know, business owners, everyday people, and maybe it's time to not look at the stigma and eliminate it
2: yeah i I think you're right I mean I think stigma is something that gets released over time right I mean we don't we you know anything that you think about in in you know western society that we're, any society that's been stigmatized stigmas don't typically get lifted you know uh, at a at a rapid pace yeah. right they 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 get released over time so that, that's what's happening in cannabis currently I mean we see it and you know I think there's fairly widespread expectation that the federal government will, you know, address rescheduling cannabis from Schedule 1, you know, likely sometime shortly after the 2020 election, almost yeah. no matter who, uh, you know, occupies the White House. And there's, you know, certainly movement on bills federally, you know, a lot of significant bills that are moving their way through the House and the Senate um, and and expectation that those will pass. And And, and we have significantly significant bills also moving through in California that sort of protect California businesses and banks and so forth, um, short of changes federally. So all of that is, is de-stigmatizing. Um, And, you know, for me, they're, they're, it's interesting because I, I, I don't know if you've read it, but, and, and you know, the NYU study to me of the 50 plus market is one of the definitive studies that's been done both in its size and, and the caliber of work that was done. And that NYU study said that it, it broke the 50 plus market as it should be into two segments, right? 50 to 64 and then 65 plus plus. and usage of cannabis products for 50 to 64 has doubled over the last 10 years. And you go, wow. And then you read the fine print and you say, see that it's still only nine percent of that overall demographic the numbers are even more surprising for 65 plus which is that there's a 700 percent increase in use of cannabis related products over the last decade in that 65 plus group so seven times increase and then you read the fine print again and it's under three percent two point nine percent of that overall demographic so, yes, usage or uh, you know uh, openness to product or uh, the applications being appealing is growing, but it's still that marketplace is still significantly underserved. So you know there it's it's improving, but there are specific needs that I think ought to be addressed. The, the second part of your question, and you know it had a lot of pieces, so I'm also I'm, I'm unpacking a little bit. You know, my experience in business makes me concerned about claims. So what I know when, you know, brands put, you know, those kind of bliss, um, you know, there's a fine line between in, in marketing, what's called advertising puffery right. and the ability to say, you know, this product is great. You know, that's called puffery, right? You're sort of adding an opinion, you know, uh, this product relieves headaches. That's a claim.
1: Which I, actually, right? and, I, and I appreciate that because now with the FDA working on trying to do the implementation of the hemp bill, that's one of the exact things they're trying to target.
2: Sure, sure. So, and not only FDA will get involved in this, it could cross over into the FTC. So, you know, those kinds of issues I think have yet to be ironed out with cannabis. Typically, if you're going to make what's called a claim, you know, you've got to have had a serious study. You know, you've got, either got to have a double blind, you know, sizable, that, that really scientific stuff, or there's also called the genericness rule, which is if you are basing it, you know, if I make a new aspirin and I follow every ingredient that's in that aspirin that Bayer did, then I can just point to Bear's study and say my product's identical to them, it's generic to their product, so all of the studies that Bayer already did and paid for apply to my product too, and I sort of don't have to prove it with my own study. But those kinds of things we don't have yet in cannabis because of course testing, um, you know, scientific research has not been allowed on a widespread basis up to now. We've got a lot of people jumping in, you know, universities, number of prestigious universities across the country here in Los Angeles, you know, UCLA has opened up a cannabis initiative that's led by some very impressive people doing some phenomenal research about its medicinal applications. So we're headed down that road, but in the meantime, you know, I would caution certainly any PGP client about the claims area and finding that line between, as I say, puffery, you know, I think, and and a real claim on package. So that's that's an issue that I think is. Still a little gray for this industry. Again, it goes to the nascentness of the industry or the nascency of the industry.
1: And just to give uh, folks a little context, if you're looking to go and uh, learn more about the NYU study that Michael just referred to, make sure to go and take a look for the study that's from the NYU School of Medicine and the Center for Drug Use and HIV-HCV Research at NYU's Rory Myers College of Nursing. It's also been published in the Online Journal of Drug and Alcohol Dependence. And it was built on an earlier addiction study by the same researcher. So uh, just to give that out there, if you want to do a Google search for that. Let me go ahead and move along and segue into why branding is key to success in the cannabis industry. It's a recent article from Media Post. And they said this, quote, Digital platforms, specifically advertisers, are reluctant to work with cannabis because of legal uncertainty and social stigma. We mentioned that earlier. Many of these platforms operate at a national level, and any media dollars exchange are typically regulated nationally. Social acceptance of the industry is still not completely widespread either. Many platforms fear backlash from current or future clients. Along with these problems, competition grows more intense by the day. Bigger, more established corporate entities like Anheuser-Busch, InBev, Molson, Coors, and Heineken are seeking inroads into the industry. Still, newer shots, newer companies will have a shot against these goliaths. How? The industry is still so new that anything could happen but building a strong brand is the only way to survive. What are some of the things that you instill in some of your clients or those startups that are looking to build that strong brand? Is there any one thing that is a foundation to start off from?
2: Well, we start by giving our clients an education about what brands are. And, you know, we, we unkindly, let me say that right at the top, we unkindly call some things brands and some things names that many people in business would call a brand. And I will give you some comparisons and hopefully, you know neither one of us gets sued by these companies. <laughs> but you know, Nike is a brand to us, yes, and Reebok is a name. Apple is a brand and Microsoft is a name. Jack Daniels is a brand, and Jim Beam is a name. And there, there, it is all boils down to a simple thing, which is emotional response, which is based in the limbic nerve, and so they're actually, to further define it, we call them limbic brands. We have an emotional reaction, most consumers, to Nike. We've seen Nike's campaign, the cohesion of that campaign, the just do it, the ap- professional athletes they've had involved, their athletes who are not famous who they have in their campaigns, gives us a very emotional response to Nike that most consumers don't have with Reebok. Same thing is true of Apple versus Microsoft, you know, Jack Daniels versus Jim Dean. So, and that is a really big delineator for us. It has to do with authenticity. It has to do with cohesion between you know, your visual narrative, your verbal narrative, your packaging design, your display, your marketing campaign, you know, digital marketing, your distribution network. I mean, it, it is an across line piece, and it's like the difference between a well written book or a poorly written book. The through line. It's the difference between a song that becomes a hit because it's got that jingle that we all relate to or an emotional chord in it that we all relate to and that song that doesn't make it on the radio or into our yeah. you know, into our digital device. So that that is really where we land. And um, so we start with an education about what is brand. And then we begin to build from there. And some companies have beautiful, uh, authentic narrative that's just intrinsic to the startup of the company within the company's DNA, and they just need really help with the cohesion, taking that narrative and playing it so that it spills across everything. Other companies aren't aware of what their narrative are, and, and they need help creating that narrative and defining that narrative and then put it to the consumer
1: and you know what, there is not. There is no share of audible books I could read to give me the understanding of this subject. And I also just think of the fact that, that for those out there, I mean, having that strong brand offers the opportunity for those to, for, for people to go ahead and buy your product, not only that, for people that want to advertise with you or work with you. Because brands, I would imagine, that is, it sells itself. That's really why you create it. Well, it if- is.
2: Yeah, I mean, brands really, at the end of the day, brands make a promise, mm-hmm. right? And then the company either delivers on that promise or they don't. Okay. That's, again, where we go to authentic versus not authentic. And typically, I think the promise of a brand is fairly simple. It either, it either makes me feel good or okay as I am, sort of acceptance, or improvement makes a difference in my life. I mean, you know, I'm really generalizing here, but, you know, generally we're going to go into one of those two categories, okay as I am or improves me, one or the other. So, you know, either the Nike shoes are comfortable or they get me to go run more, right? It's that kind, of, that kind of thing. So, and brands have to be able to deliver on that promise, that purpose. They have to be able to fulfill that purpose. When they do that, then they really, you know, they create connection. Right. The connection connection between two people using it. You know, you and I might sit down to lunch together and you pull out your phone and oh, you got the 11. Yeah. How do you like the new camera? (laughs) Right. I mean, that's connection. So so, you know, and so that's that's where you start really just mushrooming a brand. And, you know, Apple is an example that's been wildly successful at that.
1: Well, if you I know, was making a $64 a month on a phone, leasing it from whichever company, or, you know, trying to get over $1,000 for it, I'd be happy to <laughs> just saying.
2: Sure, sure. So, so, and, and, and going to value then going to value and I'm, and I'm speaking in two weeks in San Francisco at the Connor global event. And one of the, I'm on a panel that's called the value of branding yeah. and, you know, going to value to me, we look at, you know, intellectual property. When, when you go to, you know, you're talking about sales of these companies or building value in these companies and bigger companies acquiring smaller companies, we're talking about intellectual property. And the intellectual property hierarchy of value goes like this. You know, patents or patent applicable, you know, that's sort of the highest level. And second is brand and the trademarks associated with brand. You know, third probably becomes, you know, Compelling, authentic narrative, you know, cohesively across the entire brand. And third becomes, you know, uniquely different, fourth becomes uniquely differentiated product. So, you know, in terms of when you go to the business side of the equation, separate from the consumer response, you also get that in, in the business community. The companies are responding to brand and the value of the trademark when that's been uh, built in a way that creates this connection with consumers.
1: I want to talk more in the area of branding in terms of packaging, which is always the one thing that I always kind of relate one to the other. I want to ask you about something that's been going on in the news and kind of relate this into our conversation. I'm here once again with Michael Epstein, founding partner of Primary Growth Partners here on Blunt Business. Back with final questions after this.
0: Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. With or oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. But a game for your phone gonna make you say, wow! The games about the game are growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, and the board, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, with Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is pink, that's the point. Enjoy. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, ya you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc.
2: Hey, it's Nick Hexum from 311, and you're listening to Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina on CannabisRadio.com. Now I'm willing to to seize the
0: day I hope you didn't forget about us, because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com.
1: Welcome back. I'm here with Michael Apstein, founding partner of Primary Growth Partners here on Blunt Business. Weed Maps reported that the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, reported that a mysterious vaping-related outbreak has caused serious respiratory illnesses in 530 people, including eight deaths. We've heard this story. Uh, while the exact cause of this potentially fatal condition remains unknown, The Department of Health in New York State has focused its investigation on vitamin E acetate, which may be an ingredient in thickening agents thought to be used by illegal THC vape cartridge manufacturers. Cannabis vape cartridges have become wildly popular in states with adult use, spurring underground dealers to capitalize on this growing market by producing unregulated street-level THC cartridges that are believed to be the crux of the crisis. For an example, southeastern Wisconsin police recently conducted a raid and found 98,000 empty vape cartridges and 57 mason jars filled with THC-based liquid, providing a peek behind the curtain of illegal cannabis vape oil production. They recommend, quote, Quote, one of the best ways to identify counterfeits is by knowing what to look for on product packaging. Although many illicit vape products are being sold in packaging that is nearly identical to the real brands, many companies are increasing their efforts to implement indicators that help verify true products from the fakes. So if you're making a brand that becomes so popular, I would imagine there's going to be a fear of somebody trying to replicate it. I mean, there's great designer brands out there, say a, a Coach Bag or... I don't know. I mean, what, pick what you will. If somebody's going to try to put a knockoff out there. I mean, what's any concerns of protecting yourself if you're creating a brand that becomes something that wants to be mocked and recreated?
2: You know, I I, I think this is the the and, and let, let me start with this. Let me let me just first say, um, I, I think actually since since that that Weed Maps quote, I, I actually think there've been more deaths, yeah. and I think the the number of illnesses is up over a thousand. So, th- this is not in any way to, you know, th- th- this is a terrible, terrible thing. Yeah. And, you know, there are people who are in significant pain whose lives have been lost and families affected and lives changed. And so, this is a very, very serious issue. Um, I think that the, to, to go to your question, um, the applicable model would be spirits. Right. So, unlike, you know, coach or or designer items, this is, this has ingredients in it and it's got to be tested and it's got to be controlled. And the legal product that's at market um, has done that, right? That is, that comes from companies that are licensed, whether they are growers, cultivators, distribution companies, uh, manufacturing companies, and same thing with retailers, the licensed dispensaries. And so, There is an illicit market out there that is both producing product and growing product and and retailers, dispensaries that are illegal. And so we have to do a better job on all ends of the equation. And so what what I mean in terms of identifying the difference between those, and that I think comes from government agencies. I think it comes from private business. It comes from the cannabis businesses themselves. And I think it comes from the consumer. I think, you know, the consumer has got to educate themselves and the industry has got to educate the consumer. The government's got to educate the consumer. I just saw in West Hollywood or Hollywood the other day, big billboards that were up about uh, educating the consumer about make sure it's licensed, make sure it's a legal dispensary. Here's how to check. Here's the questions to ask, educating the consumer about that. And, And again, it goes to the nascency of the industry. But I don't think as the industry matures that you're going to sort of get you know, if you and I went walking in New York City down Fifth Avenue, we're going to get offered a slew of designer handbags, right, for 10 bucks or 20 bucks or 30 bucks or whatever they charge now versus the hundreds or thousands of dollars they're going to charge for that in in store. And we know those are knockoffs and we know those are ripoffs when we're buying them. We don't have that with with spirits or beer or wine in this country. We've got a very well-regulated industry that comes from both the government and from industry associations and from the businesses themselves. And that is uh, absolutely where cannabis has to head. So, um, you know, this is a, this is a terrible crime that's been done. Yeah. Um, and I think it is a clarion call for, uh, all three parties involved. I think it's a clarion call for consumers, it's a clarion call for cannabis companies, and it's a clarion call for the government, for the government agencies. So, um, the the only positive that will come out of this is the education and the change and and frankly it's needed you know the the remaining segments of the illicit market have to go away they just have to go away uh, there's no there's no room for it in, in this industry especially because this is a case where the product did such bad things yeah and the product, properly regulated, properly grown, and manufactured and tested, can do such great things.
1: Absolutely agree. Very well said. Let me direct some uh, our listeners right now over to wearepgp.com. That's the website for primary growth partners. For those that I draw over to that website, uh, what are some of the things that you would want to, if they come to you, obviously you're working with startups, and you're also able to t- speak to investors. Um Talk to me a little bit about what's the inside of right now, what you're working on, and who you'd like to hear from that come to your website.
2: Yeah, we're we we we're really boutique. Let me be clear about that. We we take on a very limited number of cannabis enterprises as clients on an annual basis. Literally, you know, like a handful, four or five clients a year. Um, and we're really looking for unique opportunities. We look for products that are really differentiated. We look for you know market niches where uh, a brand can be built. Um, so we're you know as I've said in this conversation, we've got uh, a really interesting 50 plus um, demographic brand in development um, that's uh, we're, we're super excited about. Not at market yet. Um, we've got a couple of the um, outlaw brands from the medicinal you know the medicinal uh, California space, and they're not mm-hmm. outlaw at all. I mean, they operated legally within the medicinal space, and now they're fully licensed within the adult space, but they have that, you know, they were, um, they've been around a long time, so they have some of that Outlaw appeal. we've got a couple of those with really great product. We're, we're very focused on, on the premium segments, even super premium and ultra premium. Um, so, you know, there's a mix of things, and, and then just, just some, every once in a while we see a technology play. Generally, we're a little small for some tech stuff, but every once in a while we see a tech sort of product related to the industry that we think is, is really inter- interesting and we have the right uh, client relationships and investor relationships to help a company like that grow, too. It, it's not our uh, – we do those rarely uh, because we don't have a deep science team, but uh, we will look at some tech things that are sort of innovation breakthroughs in a, in a uh, category within the segment. So we're – we are just call a specialized – Um, And really looking for unique things. And we really focus on the things we do well. We're very focused on strategy, obviously branding and marketing. Um, We're also focused on legal compliance and financial compliance and um, really operational readiness and consistency is what that all falls under. And we have a a team that's, you know, got a lot of expertise across those uh, across those fronts.
1: Michael Abstein, again, uh, founding partner of Primary Growth Partners. I really appreciate you making time to join us. Thanks for your knowledge. And, by the way, I don't know how much that would have charged by the hour just to get that information, but I'm glad you decided to take it a little more than a half hour to <laughs> talk to me about it. Uh, again, we are pgp.com is the website. So, Michael, thank you again for being on with us. I uh, really appreciate it. And let's definitely keep in touch. Let's uh, look at getting back online and uh, doing this again.
2: I would, I would really enjoy that. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our time together. My
1: pleasure. So, listeners, again, we are PGP.com. Make sure to go and check out the website. And as I close the program, another edition of Bump Businesses Through the Door. And you can – we're really pretty, thank you for joining us as always. You can download – past episodes by going to CannabisRadio.com, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Make sure to rate your review on Apple Podcasts because we could really use it, we really appreciate it, and we hope you do. And until next time, thanks for listening.